0: Send love your horses! Well, welcome, everyone, to Red Sky Radio, the Robin Walters show here. You're wondering, what on earth am I doing here? Another program in two days. Well, if you have heard the previous program, which is was about uh, this is getting really interesting with the election, that was done and shipped out just before the Trump indictment and a couple of other things that I felt compelled to do a sequel here that deals with sort of the election sequel to that program, uh, Pat Robertson and Jen Psaki. Uh, How about that mix? And, you know, it's just kind of interesting. On a couple of occasions, because I'm not on every day of the week, I'm on one day, there'll be those times where I just am an hour, 12 hours, maybe 24 hours ahead of a story and it should be included because the show is very time sensitive, if you will. So here you go. You're getting a two for this week. Uh, dealing, and I want to start with, and it's not going to be a full length program. And uh, while well, I don't think it's going to be, we'll we'll find out. Maybe it will turn out to be that dealing with the Trump indictment. We're going to start with that. Um, and I just want to say. That this is either a break 'em or make 'em moment. I don't know how this is going to turn out, of course. Uh, but it's either gonna it's either gonna break Trump or it will make Trump. And you know it's interesting he can con- he can continue to campaign, even though he's been indicted. He can continue to campaign and run for president. If he is convicted, nothing stops him. And of course if he's elected the first act he'll do if he were convicted is to what? Pardon himself. I would and he should. This is such an unbelievable hatchet job that you got that fake fake patriot Christopher Ray with the fascist bureau of intimidation, sometimes known as the FBI, that you know, they were they kept trying to get Congress kept trying to get uh, released the whistleblower testimony, as long along with some other information, that absolutely would conclude that Joe Biden is corrupt as Chicago was under Al Capone. Joe Biden in addition to being what I really truly believe is demon possessed because well he's not he's not throwing out green uh, green slime out of his mouth like Linda Blair in the exorcist well you'd misunderstand uh misunderstand demonic possession it can be that way and it can be ridiculously smooth as it is revealed in the book of acts actually there are demons who masquerade as ministers. Get that word? Ministers of righteousness. So those that are demon-possessed who actually act and sound a whole lot better than Joe Biden. But this guy is from the pit of hell. He is Barack Obama 2.0. We know that. But the fact that Christopher Ray would stonewall until... The indictment was launched so that CNN and all the other kind of prostitutes for the left, they call themselves journalists, but they're propagandists, they could cover the indictment and ignore the glaring evidence that Joe Biden is a crook, is a crook, always will be a crook, always has been a crook. Look up the corruption in the dictionary, and you got Joey Cornpop Biden's picture there. Skip the definition. But that, but that Ray could put this off and dance around and dink around until the story, until the indictment got lined up so that that news would obliterate the Joe news. It's sort of like, you know, whenever there was something really bad that Obama had to acknowledge or put out there, when did he release it? After business hours on Friday night. Every time. It was clockwork. Gosh, the left stinks. So anyway, he could keep running. He could keep campaigning. If he gets uh, convicted, he can keep campaigning. He could win the election and be in jail, I suppose, and then just pardon himself and get the heck out of there. But I got to tell you, woe unto those who have done that to him. I heard him. You know, I heard him on uh, the TV yesterday. Acknowledging that he'd been indicted, and I'm just astounded at his control and his kind of almost compassion, his hurt for this country, what it's become. It wasn't, he wasn't lamenting himself. It's interesting. As much as Trump talks about himself, about what he has done, that very egocentric personality when something bad happens to him, frequently he comes out and he doesn't feel as though what he is taking is as bad as what the country is taking supposedly in the name of a constitutional republic, which, of course, it no longer is. We're a republic, but it were a banana republic. Well, you know, there's a relationship here In my support and kind of recurring support for Trump to my salvation experience. I I may have shared this before, but I make it very brief because I want to make a very strong analogy here. That when I was at the University of Michigan, I was lost. I was just looking for, you know, I don't know, good time, girls, parties, what have you, football games. I wasn't really looking for truth, but I was there at a lousy time in the 70s early 70s, where everything was just awful. It was a campus in turmoil, Vietnam War, SDS, Weathermen were on the campus. I had I had commies for professors, guys who were to the left of Castro. And I didn't know what was right. But what was revealed to me was what was wrong. I, did, I didn't know. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That came a while later. But I could detect phonies. I could detect evil. And I wanted whatever was the opposite of the guys who I had as professors. That was in the 70s. It was awful. And all my really left-wing professors were all white. The only conservative in the poli-sci department was black. That's an interesting coinky dink, huh? But I, I came around to what was right by knowing what was wrong. I had this, this sense that these guys are such an incredible pack of losers. Whoever expresses things that are the exact opposite of these losers are somebody that's probably right. And so, coming over to the Trump situation, I, I, I never knew in school what was right until I could determine what was wrong. Well, compared to the Trump situation, when I come into contact with the left and observe how much they despise, loathe, and fear, fear Donald Trump, then that endears me to Trump. It does. I mean, if these people who I would not, I could witness to them, but I don't know that I'd have any other dealing with them, come apart from among them and be separate. They're crooks. They're from evil. They're from the pit of hell. There's a reason they're called demoncrats, and I'm going to blow you away with something at the end of this program. i I, It just, well, anyway, I'll get there. But if they are so bad, so evil, so wrong, and they hate Trump so much, that tells me that Trump must be God's man. Satan is animated more against Donald Trump than anybody else. And he's not the most moral candidate running on the Republican ticket. So anyway, so, you know, you can identify your friends. You know what I mean? I know I got to change that you can identify your allies sometimes merely by identifying who are your enemies who aren't your allies and knowing that those other those others are not on their side that's somehow the, the your that the enemy is a negative barometer that will help point you to your natural allies they may not be Christian. I mean, David had 600 men. A whole bunch of them were kind of malcontents. They were in debt, and they were had problems. And But they identified with David enough, and David didn't turn them away. No, he didn't. So you can identify some uh, help identify your allies by determining who are your enemies. Always has been that way. And now... And, and I'm only going to suggest here that if they somehow break him, and actually this somehow may be the breaking point for Trump, although we'll find out if he really is Teflon Don, as he was once called. I don't know who gave him that term, but the nothing sticks. You would think that anybody with a half a brain would say, okay, he was improperly peached." Impeached once, they couldn't prove it. Improperly peached twice, couldn't prove it. There's no Russia hoax. Well, there was a Russia hoax, but it was perpetrated by, the hoaxes perpetrated by the fascist Bureau of Intimidation, Christopher Ray, who should be up for treason, and you know the punishment for treason if he was convicted. But if they break him somehow, I am just trusting that God will give us a replacement that becomes the left's even bigger and worst nightmare so much so that they'll wish that they had Donald Trump back too because he was an he was a punching bag for the left now i want to address something that jen saki as i've called her jen saki This woman, they say, well, she's really smart. Well, yes, maybe she's smart, but she's also evil. And this relates to sort of the election update here with something that she said, quote, Republicans are comfortable with Biden because he is an old white man. It's Jen Psaki. Republicans are comfortable with Biden because he's an old white man. Well, I I will tell you who's really, really comfortable, exceptionally comfortable with old white men are Democrats. Those are the jerks that voted them in. It wasn't Republicans who voted in Joe Biden. It was Democrats. They're the ones that are comfortable with old white men and old white women like Nancy Pelosi. Diane Feinstein, Chucky e. Cheese Schumer, and Joey Cornpop. You want to look at all the old white duds and fuds in politics today. They're dominantly on the Democrat side. And she has the audacity to say, "You know, this is what gets me about the left. They cannot resist somehow, no matter how stupid inane and insane it is to try to turn every single news story into something racist. And yet they won't cover the real racism like Jamie Foxx's statement the other day. Oh my goodness sakes. The movie he's, he's in or he's going to be in. He was on Saturday Night Live gloating, gleaming, smiling, laughing, because in the last scene he gets to kill all the white people. And then he comes and the, and the crowd applauds. He says, and how great is that? Imagine, imagine saying, I love this movie because I get, to, I, I get to kill a whole bunch of black people. I mean, isn't that just wonderful? I mean, how, how more beautiful could it be? This is what Jamie Foxx said about whites. Now, the clapping, because the audience is partly white, kind of continues to diminish, but there are some with no brains, some completely retarded whites in there who somehow felt that uh, self-flagellation is in order and need to beat themselves up by clapping at a comment that it's a really great thing to kill a whole bunch of black people. Jamie Foxx is a loser. He's, probably, he's just one, one more left-wing loser. But my point here is coming, because this is a racial thing with the Democrats. They make race out of everything. That somehow only the Republicans were comfortable with old white men, when in reality, all the old white men and all the old white women are Democrats. Well, okay, so now let's translate that over to the election scenario. Joey Cornpop is whatever, age 80 or something you know i mean he can't remember how to tie his shoes or what feet his shoes go on he's looking for a sandbag to trip over if in fact it was actually a sandbag that he tripped over he's a goner he's evil he's everything bad he is just the perfect man for satan to have somebody manipulate to help destroy this country so if all the white uh, all the white uh men are what the Republicans really are thrilled with. Joey Cornpop, old white guy, RFK Jr. is going to be 70. I wouldn't call him old, because it's getting close to around my age. Okay, so and then you got Marianne Williamson, who who knows what age, seems like a really nice person, and uh but She's from La La Land. She is a valley girl times three, but not old, but they're all white. And two of them are men and two of them are old. Now, let's just for a second jump over to the Republican Party with Jen Psaki, says, are just comfortable with old white men. We got Tim Scott, who's black. Now, he's not half black like Barack Obama. Rocking. We're saying, I know, oh, I oh, know, I'm an African-American. Bull crap, you're half Irish, Jack. He's half black, and he's half white. He's not the first African-American. Unless African-American is now half half white. If I want to change the terminology to make that true, I guess you could. Tim Scott. How about Larry Elder? 100% black. I don't think he reflects... And reveals no white ancestry whatsoever in his melatonin or in his bio. Okay? So, the Republicans have two guys who are running for president that are twice as black as Barack Obama. Oh, yeah. Then we have Nikki Haley, who's not black, she's Indian. And then we have Vivek Ramaswamy, who's Indian. So out of the panoply of Republican candidates, one third of them are people of color. The Democrats have no people of color. None. You see, if you were black, Hispanic, Indian didn't really matter, something other than white, you don't have a future in the Democrat Party. They're run by a bunch of elitist whites. No question about it. Elitist whites run the Democrat Party. If you want opportunity, blacks, Hispanics, Indians, Asians, whoever's listening to me, that opportunity is in the Republican Party. Because the minute you join the Republican Party, you have just left a plantation. You have. The blacks that are in the Democrat Party are on the plantation. They seem to like the, I don't know, the food and free housing or whatever, that the, and the tchotchkes, the free cell phones that Barack Obama handed out to blacks that helped him. If you're stuck in that, you want to stay on the plantation, then stay on the p- plantation. But I will tell you, Donald Trump is more of, a, more of an Abraham Lincoln Sounding out an emancipation declaration, get the heck out of that party. And I will guarantee you this if you never voted, if you took a pledge to never vote Democrat again, you may have just raised your IQ somewhere between 12 to 15 points. Yeah, that's right. Well, moving along here. Pat Robertson. Uh, you know, he the the news was announced. He passed away right after I did my show. I normally wouldn't rush out to do something of a notable person like that right away, like I'm doing right now. But there's something that I've just got to share about him, and why he is was important to me in my life for several reasons. First of all. I go back, I am a graduate of Regent University Law School. It was a law school that was transferred by Oral Roberts over to Pat Robertson. I worked very, very hard in school. God blessed me with graduating first in my law school class. I give God all the credit. I graduated first in in the first law school class of Regent University. I was the first graduating class of Regent Law School, and I was blessed to be able to graduate first in the first class. Now, as a consequence, I had an opportunity, took advantage of it, of course, uh, to be on the 700 Club uh, twice. It was no big deal, not like I'm Pat would ever recognize me two or three years later walking down the street. But I had that opportunity to be on the 700 Club, even worked a bit a time for Regent University. And then there came something that uh, I appreciated enormously uh, that he did that was huge to me. For many, many years, I was a pre-tribulation rapture guy. I began to move over to the post-trib position right about the beginning of law school. By the time I finished law school or shortly thereafter, I had made the complete migration over to a post trib rapture perspective, which I share in the book The Rapture Revisited. Finally, a lawyer takes a look at end time events, which is available on Amazon. Did I share that? That book is fairly recent, but I was not very outspoken about that position at all. All my friends are pre trib, the pastors are pre trib, whatever. And I said, I don't get it. I talked with a few of them. uh, I bothered them even thinking something to the contrary. The one pastor said, hey, you can stay here if you want, but I'm leaving. You can stay. Well, thanks. I'm sure that's how theology should work. Let's just have a hissy fit and get mad at the people who disagree with you over something that is not fundamental to your salvation. It just bothered me. Well, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever felt, and I'm sure you have, it's more rhetorical. Have you ever felt like there's something that you, be, you believe or you're coming to believe it and it keeps growing or you, it's matured and you do fully believe it, but you don't share it because you have not run into one stinking person who believes like you do? Not one. You can't, they aren't there. And so you're questioning your own rationale, your own mentality, your own intelligence, because you can't find, run across anybody who actually believes what you are coming to believe or now fully believe. That's the way I was for a number of years dealing with a pre-trib rapture and then the post-trib rapture the post-trib rapture for about 15 years after the conversion. I just didn't talk about it. There wasn't anybody to talk to it about except a few people I'd talk to and get into an argument. There were no churches, no ministry programs until, until one of the rare occasions at that point in my life that I actually was, I sat down to watch the 700 Club. Now, there have been things that I've disagreed with Pat Robertson about. I mean, you can't be on the air for, what, 50 years and not say some things that people are not going to like or or, or just have a fundamental disagreement. Pat Robertson was the absolute first person I ever heard that said, and he was a Southern Baptist, spirit-filled Southern Baptist, who said this, there is just no way a pre-trib rapture can be true. We are around during the tribulation. We get raptured somewhere in the second half, but he personally believed it was at or very close to the tail end. And I, st- I sat there dumbfounded. The first person in my life, after a decade and a half of believing that, that I had respect for and who also was a luminary and a lot of other people respected, To come out and say, oh my gosh, there is somebody else. And with that, a few years later, I began to preach it. And a few years later from that, I began to write about it. And a few years after that, I wrote a book about it. So I attribute this coming out, if you can call it that, to Pat Robertson. And I thank him immensely. Pat Robertson, by training, is not a theologian. Pat Robertson is a lawyer. I am a lawyer. We read the Bible like the perfect contract that it is. Don't start moving things around and putting this passage instead of another one and giving them these funky meanings and try to twist and contort and get all twisted in your underwear trying to contort your way into a pre-trib rapture. Read it like the contract that it is. God's a good Jewish lawyer, to quote Sid Roth. And interestingly, a few of the others that have come out in support of that position have been lawyers. I'm not saying we have an edge on theologians. I'm just saying we look at Scripture as what it is. It's called the Four Corners. You don't go outside the document to interpret the document. You don't insert stuff that isn't there. You don't remove stuff that is there. You don't rearrange stuff from the arrangement that it has, unless it's obvious. And so I want to thank him for that. He is being vilified in the mainstream media, and vilified is sort of a kind word here. Pat Robertson, I don't know if he walked it back. I can't remember if he did. I would have been very disappointed. I know that Jerry Falwell had come out and said that our descent into sin, largely because of abortion and homosexuality, was triggering judgments by God against the United States. I fully agreed with Jerry Falwell except Jerry Falwell then apologized. And just as a word of caution and advice, when you speak, let your yes be yay and your nays be nay. Don't shoot your mouth off and then apologize because somebody doesn't like what you said or you're in hot water you might lose your job or blah, blah, blah. Screw all that. If you're going to say it, say it and mean it or shut up. Those are the options. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, and don't go wiggling around. Afterwards, I appreciated Jerry Falwell. I had a nice talk with him once on the campus at Regent. I, I love the guy. I just think he he got himself in trouble there. But Pat Robertson came out and said without question, in his opinion, he said, it's still my opinion, but I firmly believe it, that Hurricane Katrina, which wiped out New Orleans was a judgment from God. Now, what was interesting about that is I had preached the same thing. It was in my heart, but I heard Pat say it, sort of like that confirmation that I was waiting for. And the reason he said it, well, you know, we're coming up to a break. I'm not going to be able to finish my comment here before the break, so I'm going to push it past that. And then we're going to wrap this program up in just a few minutes but don't go away Uh, you need to hear the end of this very special broadcast Robin Walter with the Red Sky Radio program will be right back The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to... Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. We are back. This is Robin Walter with Red Sky Radio. Um, we're talking about Pat Robertson, but I'm going to interject something, and I'll get back to him here. Just kind of listening to the solicitation by this uh, young lady. She did that taping two and a half years ago when she had just entered third grade. And I'm listening to her comfort. Her competence and her confidence as she was doing this solicitation—it just kind of dawned on me. And maybe I'm paying more attention because I got a call a couple of days ago that um, she uh, was evaluated, and she has the as the most comprehensive reading skill of her of the entire class in her school, and is second in reading comprehension second for the grade that's ahead of her. And there's only two that are ahead of her that are two grades ahead of her. So she's the fifth grade now. And so she's, uh, and she's probably reading at an eighth grade level. I just was listening and I just thought, Oh, God bless that little girl. I just love her to pieces. So anyway, okay, getting back. Uh, I digress. So get back to Pat Robertson here and Hurricane Katrina. There's something many people don't know about that hurricane. Two event, two things really. Uh, one is that that hurricane hit the day before. Uh, oh, I can't even think of the mayor's name. He was uh, mixed race. He called himself Chocolate chocolate or Oreo or I don't know, whatever term it was he used to describe mixed race, he was describing himself, but was getting ready to give the red carpet treatment 24 or 48 hours from hence to about 150,000 queers who were coming to New Orleans to begin and celebrate what they called the Festival of Decadence the festival of decadence. Yikes. Okay, now to the hurricane. What does the word Katrina mean? Seeing no hands out there, I will I will share it myself. Katrina means cleansing. Isn't that something? God absolutely did judge that city. There isn't any question about it. In my mind... I I can't say that as a fact because God, I mean, I look at it and I can't see any other explanation. And I fully agreed with Pat Robertson uh, that it was, and he didn't even mention that about a cleansing. He was just speaking about the festival of decadence and the fact that God decided to wipe it out 48 or 24 hours before that. So, that fact has not been lost on a lot of people from the left. In other words, the minions of Satan, the hellions, if you will. Because if you look at how reviled Pat Robertson was, how thrilled the left is at his death. They are jumping up and down. This one guy, this one guy said, uh, a journalist said that he thought it was fitting justice that Pat Robertson, these are his words, that Pat Robertson went to hell during Pride Month. You see, all, all the left that's attacking him, and, and I mean the venom, vituperative, vitriol, vindictive. I don't know. I'm out of V words. At least the ones that I want to use are all coming from homosexuals. And the one guy said, you know, I didn't, I not. uh, Pat Robertson's death is almost making me believe there is a hell because I want him there so badly. Another one came out and said, the way we the way we are going to uh, broadcast this joyous event of Pat Robertson's death is this: Pride. They spelled it out Pride, P for Pat, R for Robertson, I for is, D for dead, and then E everybody. So they the meaning for the pride here. Is Pat Robertson is dead, everybody? And then it was a bunch of exclamation marks. So I'm sort of coming back to what I've floated and continue to get feedback on: is is, is Satan queer? Well, Satan has targeted ch- children to molest, turn them into homosexuals, children who are innocent. And who are the others that that the queers wanted to sodomize in Scripture? You know what? In each case. It was angels. There several places that they, the expressed intent was to sodomize that which was pure from God. And the only ones that would even come close to that that aren't angels would be young children. And that's the other ones he's after. So you may have seen this, but uh, this blows me away. I look at, uh, my, my wife showed me this, so this is interesting. Pride month. So put the two words together. If you're there, you got a pencil, pen. I'm not fussy about pencil. I like to erase. But write out pride month, but with no space between pride and month. Write it out. Okay? Now, what's in the middle of the word? Delete the PRI and delete the TH. And what do you have? Demon. Demon is the word that sits in the middle of and conjoins the two words, pride and month, is demon. Well, I would love to go deeper into this, and I'm not. I promised you a shorter program today, and I need to give you a shorter program. Unfortunately, this isn't going to be on some of the radio stations because I don't have a, uh, an oddball time slot to d- dump an extra program into. I'm not Rush Limbaugh, and I'm not Mark Levin. I've got no clout, but I do. Thank people for what I'm observing is a continuous uptick in the size of the listening audience for this program. And with that, we're going to wrap up this program. And I'm not going to even talk through the end of the program this time. I'm just going to let you hear the music beginning as it should, full blast. Remember, you sit tall in the saddle, America. You ride for the brand of Jesus Christ. Oh, your Come on.